this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it's an epic win Wednesday. Your first place 49ers are back in the top seed for the NFC. And with me here this week to extol the virtues of my dynasty fantasy football team, it's David Newman. I'm so angry about that. Don't even get me started. Dude, so uh, for those that are uninitiated, David Newman and I are in a dynasty league with some other dudes. And I did better than him this year. And he's really mad about that. I mean, that's not <laughs> accurate. That's not at all accurate. Uh, one question for you, my friend. Who's currently still in the winner's bracket and active and who is not? Look, playoffs are bullshit. All right. <laughs> Fantasy football is just a load of bullshit. Uh <laughs> My team is so stacked and it's so frustrating. Um, and yet you are at home, so to speak. Yeah. And I continue on in these playoffs. Although I think I'm certainly going to lose because Josh Jacobs is out. Lamar Jackson is limited. He's going to play. But I- I'm really worried about not having a quarterback because he's been the engine to my team this entire year, uh, which is great. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so definitely some fun stuff. We are in the playoffs here in our Dynasty League. Well, I am. Sorry, David. Uh, and the Niners. Fucking, uh, wow. <laughs> wow. About to get up and walk out of here. Oh, man. Just wait till we get to the kicker section. Uh, and <laughs> but the Niners, are, though, uh, had one hell of a game. I mean, the 49ers won an instant classic in New Orleans. They outlasted the Saints 48 to 46. Top, uh, top thing, really, is just sitting back and appreciating the brilliance of this game for a second. Because you had offensive fireworks. The 49ers' five passing touchdowns on the day were the most by the 49ers in a single game since October of 1990. 1990 against the Atlanta Falcons, next week's opponent. Uh, You had trick plays. Emmanuel Sanders with a touchdown pass. You've got an option play where Juice basically lost his life. Uh, You've got controversy with a two-point conversion decision and a fake punt. You've got a game-winning kick. And then, of course, you've got a defining play with George Kittle's rumble on the bayou. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for anything more. This was probably a top five game that I've watched uh, and probably the best 49ers regular season game I think I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably the best game of the season so far. Um, Absolutely. It, it was it was wild. I don't think you really expected this type of game going into it, right? I mean, I think uh, the the over-under going into the game was 45. Like, yeah, uh, it was something that each team eclipsed in this game. So, uh, and, and you had, when you looked at that kind of the matchup going into it, two teams that are kind of like they've been really good this year because of how well-rounded they are, right? They both have good defenses. They've both been good offensively and can beat you different ways offensively. And so they just are, are two teams that have been kind of playing well almost across the board. And so you would expect that like defenses would have, you know, been able to slow up, slow them up a little bit or something like that. And you get a game that, you know, has a score that's maybe half this, but it, it was, uh, it was wild, man. It was definitely a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I actually had a friend from the Bay Area, my cousin from the Bay Area, fly in to watch the game with us specifically. I had a friend who was a Saints fan come and watch the game. And I mean, we, we had a good time and it was, I mean, it's stressful. It was a stressful Dude, it game. It was intense. Like, uh, I, I mean, the, coming down the fourth quarter there and you got the two Robbie gold kicks and you know, just the whole thing. Like then, then they score, you know, the saints only have two yeah. possessions in that fourth quarter. They score touchdowns on both of them. You get that last one. You're, you're under a minute to go and you're just like, man, like, like it's just a, it was a bunch of situations that we haven't really seen the 49ers in against a team this good. Right. So yeah. like, I, I think where you started out and and you kind of get behind a little bit earlier, like they, they really had to rely on their offense and their passing game to 
keep pace, you know, with with an offense that was really clicking with New Orleans. And that's an important thing because the Niners have relied on a positive game script so far this season. And what do I mean by a positive game script? I mean, a game in which a script in which they're firmly in control and can rely on what it is that they like to do. So when they jump out ahead by a couple of scores, now all of a sudden they can run the ball. Their defense can tee off on a quarterback because they have to throw. They have to have deeper drops. It really feeds into the strengths of the 49ers and what they want to do. There's only been a couple of games where they haven't been in these types of positive game scripts. Uh, the, the games against the Arizona Cardinals, of course, are chief among them. But the Arizona Cardinals are not the New Orleans Saints. Right. And they don't have the defense that the New Orleans Saints have, especially coming into this game. So it was really positive to see the offense carry the team on a scale that we haven't yet seen because of the level of competition they played against. And so I think to myself, you know, what would I say to the Mullins stand in hiding at this point? Because for those that are unaware, I actually had several people, well, two people specifically, reach out to me and they're like, yo, what's up with the Mullins stand (laughs) at basketball? And and I must say, for those of you who are keeping close tabs on our dear friend, pick up basketball Mullins stand, I haven't seen him in months. He is in hiding. I can only Checks assume out. he is afraid to show his face based on Jimmy Garoppolo's performance these <laughs> last few weeks. Because, you know, he, I mean, that take is not good. And, yeah. and now all of a sudden he's, he's looking at having to eat crow and have me dunk on him all before 7 a.m. He's not up for the prospect. I mean, dunk that. Did you guys start playing on eight foot hoops since I left? Six. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yep. Nice. And we use trampolines. Just wanted to check in on that. <laughs> <laughs> but so you, this is a game where the, the offense did indeed carry the team. The 48 yeah. points that they strung up on the New Orleans Saints, they're the most that that team has given up since week one of the 2018 season, and that was to the Buccaneers. I mean, Shanahan really unloaded his bag of tricks. This was basically, all right, offensive play caller versus offensive play caller, and, and the Niners' offensive play caller just had the ball last. Right. I mean, I think that that point about kind of pulling a, a lot of things out of the bag of tricks, right, uh, is is a good point to bring up, especially going against, uh, you know, a team that a lot felt, you know, t- people that weren't quite fully believers in the 49ers because of, again, like the early schedule and and losing some of these tough games close, you know, in this this last stretch here. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that the Saints were maybe the best team in the NFC in this. And so. You you could see Sh- from Shanahan's game plan standpoint, like while we did get good Jimmy this week, like we we got a good performance from him, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, here coming up. But you also did see a lot of things to try to like generate some big plays schematically, right? And you talk about the the Emmanuel Sanders, you know, touchdown pass there, um, the the juice option pitch, you know, all, all of those type of things that you mentioned, like. Well, and, and then you get even some of the the stuff that have become more normal parts of the game plan, right? All the the stuff that you get with Debo Sanders and, and getting him involved in kind of the reverses and jet sweeps and stuff like that. Um, and, and so it was a case where, yes, Jimmy did a lot. He did a lot of things really well, but they were also looking for a lot of other ways to generate some offense. And And thankfully for them, pretty much all of those ways worked out. Yeah, there were a lot of plays that the Niners ran that they had run in, in the in the season previous to this game. They just ran from different formations or with different people. I mean, you're talking about the the corner post to Emmanuel Sanders that they ran with Kittle yeah. against Green Bay. You're talking about the pinball screen that they ran to, nah, at this point, Kittle, but they ran it to both Richie James and to Debo Samuel at previous times of the year. The wing T run, they tried it again, didn't work. Uh, that kind of interior quick hitting run. Uh, I think they tried it with Debo and it didn't work. 
Uh, the option they haven't tried before, I think, but that was fairly new. And the, the Emmanuel Sanders pass was was fairly new as well. But, I mean, these are plays that Shanahan knows that they've put on film, but he's coming at this defense from another formation, even though the team's put it on, uh, has executed it before. So, I mean, he, he was basically pulling everything out. And and from the, the game plan from Shanahan, it was pretty clear that especially early on, they wanted to attack Eli Apple. And you can't be mad at that plan because Shanahan is really, really good at attacking not just the defense's weakness, but a defensive player's weakness. And basically, that's what Eli Apple was for the Saints. <laughs> and they just kept picking and picking, and it worked. Didn't he allow some, some ridiculous amount of yardage, I think, over the course of the game? Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was not great. He was targeted often, and, uh, and, and they generally had a lot of success going at him. Um, I mean... It was funny, like even going back to, so yeah, I mean, I think you looked at it, it, him that they attacked a lot and you saw it, especially early on. I mean, I think on that first drive, they had like three straight receptions against Eli Apple um, and just was something that kind of continued throughout the day, uh, ended up with seven targets. Um, so it was, I, I think where you really looked is you stay away from Marshawn Lattimore largely, right? He was only targeted three times. Smart decision. Um, yeah. Worked out very well. Only gave up two receptions for 13 yards, but the areas where they were a little bit weaker is, you know, of course, Eli Apple at, at the other corner spot. Um, you look at their linebackers where they were down, you know, a couple of guys and, and playing some guys that don't normally get, uh, a lot of time. And so it was a lot of middle of field stuff that they do normally, but still, again, you're attacking, uh, kind of that level. And then they also got some good plays on their safeties. I mean, um, going to the the deep ball to Emmanuel Sanders, that was the same play uh, that George Kittle scored on against the Packers that you mentioned there it actually got him in the same coverage too. So when, when you go back to that Packers game, uh, I forget who the initial safety was that, that Kittle beats on it there. So like just completely roast the safety that has him. So both defenses, both the Packers and the saints in this one quarters coverage back there. And so you get, the safety basically one-on-one with Kittle uh, in the Packers case or Emmanuel Sanders here and just get roasted on that. The difference is in the Packers game, so with how that that coverage works out against that play, they should be getting help basically from the opposite side. The opposite corner ends up kind of without work, should be getting back to the deep middle of the field. That didn't happen. So Jared Alexander in the Packers game got completely lost. So that was why it was so wide open. Um, in that Packers game here, Marcus Williams on the backside does a better job getting back there, challenges it, and then just plays it horribly like at the catch point. Right. And, and you get a nice play from Manuel Sanders there. So it was funny that they got the exact same coverage. It was played a little bit better this time around, but you know, you still get the big play. I think that was a nice thing to see them just being willing to take shots. You know, I've talked a ton about like, you just got to take some chances there. Like even if they fall incomplete, you got to be willing to just throw it deep, uh, you know, a few times a game. And it was because every once in a while, like something like that's going to happen. Yeah, Incidentally, Eli Apple targeted seven times, allowed six receptions for 117 yards, averaged 19.5 yards per reception. That's as we like to say, not great, Bob, not great. <laughs> not and, I, great and, and I think the one that wasn't completed was a drop. Like that's I mean, maybe, yeah, Eli Apple, not sub great, sub dude. 30 coverage grade in this. Like that's that's some rough stuff. A yeah. tough look for our guy there. And, and the 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 offense, we, we always said that the offense was going to be just fine and they were probably going to have some up and down games and that was OK. But ultimately, you've got to have faith in Shanahan, both as a play caller and as a game plan designer, him and his staff, because it's not just Shanahan who's doing all this. He's, of course, got his passing and coordinator and run game coordinator. 
And, and this is exactly the type of thing that you, that you hope is now going to be what the team can sustain and win in ways that you don't always expect. Because the Niners have won now in this, this season in so many different ways. They've won sloppy games in weather. They've won games where they've just blown opponents out. They've won games where they've had to overcome five turnovers. They've won games where it's been really, really tight and they're playing a divisional foe. Uh, and now they're, they're you know, winning games and just flat-out offensive shootouts. This team seems to somehow morph into the team they need to be in order to win games. And that's one of the reasons why they're 11-2. and two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think the fact that they are staying close in all of these games, right, um, is is so big because as we talked about before, like when you play teams that are inferior to you, like you you need to handle your business there, right? When you're a good team, you expect to be a contender. Like you need to go and and take care of business against teams that you cl- clearly should beat. Um, and then when you get into the matchups against the tough teams, right, you're you're just looking to uh, keep it close, right? Like you want to see a competitive game. You want to see them show that they belong. And then it, it, a lot of times those games are going to come down to a few plays. And and that's kind of what happened here, right? They've been on the other side of that where they lost close games against Baltimore and Seattle. And then um, this was one where they, they kind of came down to the wire again, and they were actually the one that w- was able to come out on top for once. And so um, you, you'd like to see them, continue to battle against all of these types of opponents and, and kind of all the different tests that they've had over this last stretch, especially. Now, this was, of course, powered in large part by Jimmy Garoppolo finding his groove again, because this was really good Jimmy Garoppolo. We've talked a bit about the, the Jimmy Garoppolo roller coaster and how sometimes he has some, some things where it just seems like he's not seeing the field super well and he seems to be hesitating a little bit. But in this game, he was firing on all cylinders. And, and it wasn't just the deep shot that he ended up completing to Emmanuel Sanders. It was the things that, that he routinely does where you're like, yes, this is the Jimmy Garoppolo that we saw at the end of 2017. And he was really decisive and accurate in the middle of the field. You look at some of these slant passes, and I think outside of the one that bounced off of Emmanuel Sanders' hands, he's throwing passes where you're like, you're seeing two Saints defenders close in, and you're like, I don't know how the ball got there, but they collide into each other, and you've got a a Niners wide receiver running a slant and getting yards after the catch. He's consistently getting balls out far enough wide enough to where he can still turn his receiver upfield to have him get some extra yards. He is throwing balls on target for his wide receivers to catch, and he was dealing this game and he was really doing it in rhythm, which is not something he's always done this year. Which is is so big um, for the way this offense is designed to go, right? So if you, is in terms of getting players the ball accurately. So you look at first like the makeup of the roster, right? The receiving options that they have. And you look at their top three targets in, in Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, and uh, Debo Samuel, right? Or, or kind of your clear top three options at this point. And Every single one of those guys is very good after the catch, right? So they're going to get open, and and then that's the other part of it, too. You have uh, an excellent offensive designer and play caller and Shanahan that's going to be able to scheme guys open a good chunk of the time. And and so when you get either the open receivers or you get a chance to get one of your playmakers the ball, uh, you know, in a one-on-one situation, you want to hit them accurately, you know, and and allow them to continue running in stride and, and be able to use that run after the catch ability that they have. And that was so huge in this game, right? Because you just consistently saw Emmanuel Sanders, right? With that first kind of slant that you were just talking about there, where he threads the needle between two defenders because that hits him so perfectly, right? He's able to separate from the corner that was on him, make another guy miss. And you turn what's what like probably a seven, eight, nine yard throw 
into, you know, a 20 plus yard play. And, and so that's what this offense is kind of built to do. He doesn't necessarily have to throw it down the field a ton, though those those opportunities are nice to have. Um, but it's getting them in the short and intermediate area, getting them accurately and allowing your playmakers to kind of do what they do after the catch. Yeah, and at this point, Jimmy Garoppolo is stringing together a pretty good season, even though he's had some 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 up and downs. He is averaging just about 250 passing yards a game, and that puts him on pace for just shy of 4,000. The Niners have only produced three 4,000-yard passing seasons in franchise history. Steve Young did it twice, and then Jeff Garcia threw for a team record, 4,278 yards in 2000. Um, that's pretty wild, that with two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football on your team back to back. That's why you got to adjust for era. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but so at this point, you've got a, a passer rating for Jimmy Garoppolo where six of his last seven games have got a passer rating of 110 or better. He is he is settling in. And the last couple of games, he's played better, I think, than in really in the first half of the season. And he's still going to have his up and down games. But I think especially considering the defensive opponent, this was one of Jimmy Garoppolo's best games of the year. I think we said maybe against the Arizona Cardinals that it was uh, his best, one of the best games of his career. This, yeah. I think, when you adjust for opponent, for sure. is is right up there with the best, if not one of the best games of his career. Yeah, I, I think um, absolutely when you consider the opponent, because I mean Arizona's he was he was great in that game and made a ton of good throws. And and a lot of times when we're talking about these good throws, like it doesn't really matter. Like if it's a, for instance, if it's a throw against tight coverage, right? It doesn't matter if that tight coverage is from Marcus Lattimore or if it's some scrub on the Cardinals, right? Um, that throw to Manuel Sanders, you know, on the corner that was thrown with that anticipation and timing that's right on the money. Like in, I mean, that was Patrick Peterson, who's obviously a very good player too, but like it, th- that throw, if the coverage is where that coverage is, it doesn't matter who that player is, right? That throw is still, incredible and, and is still a great throw. Um, but yeah, when I think you, when you adjust those things and, and look at the overall quality of the opponent, it definitely, uh, it's less expected, right? I think like because of how up and down he's been this season, I don't know that you really thought that this was a game where Jimmy was primed to have one of the better games of his career. Like it, it just, I didn't think he was going to have one of the best or better games of his career, but I did think this was going to need to be a Jimmy Garoppolo game. Oh, yeah, need need to be. But like, again, need to be and will be are, are obviously different things. Fair, fair. You know, the other the other throw, I think that is it, it, it is a smarter call by Shanahan. And it really is the the end of the game play by George Kittle, because that that play. And I'm glad that Shanahan called the timeout because I don't know that he had called a choice route before that timeout. But ultimately, the final play that gets the Niners in the field goal range to George Kittle was it was a play where it is an option route. It's called the choice route, and, J- and Kittle has the option to run inside or outside based on the leverage of the defender. You've got the bunch formation. You've got players that clear out, and basically, it's just get open, and that's exactly what Jimmy Garoppolo says to George Kittle. Now, that play call is so much better than the play call, say, against the Ravens, where it's a bunch of spot routes, and he basically turns and stands in a spot and basically allows the, the Ravens coverage to converge and eliminate that even if he's not hit and or sacked. Um, so I think it's a much better play call. You get the ball into the into your playmaker's hands and then George Kittle just rumbles and does the rest. Right. I mean, that's the the one thing that is the same, right, is you're you're saying George Kittle, go do some great things for us and, and make this happen. Um, but yeah, you're, I think, in this situation, absolutely giving him 
a much better chance of succeeding in doing that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's just, it's weird to say, but like, that's the one thing about this game that you just kind of do come to expect. Like it, when, when you're starting that drive right down a minute, like when I'm thinking to myself, even though I'm like worried, like, oh man, do they have this in them? Right. Do they have this drive to go down there? Like, is Jimmy going to be doing this? The, the way that the scenario in which you envision it actually working out involves a play like this from Kittle, right? It's yeah. just where he's got to kind of come through and be a monster and, and pick up, uh, you know, a bunch of yards. And when you flip the field position that quickly, it just makes everything easy. You know, yeah. Shanahan, like said afterwards, I thought I was going to have to call a lot more plays on that drive. Yeah. And and it just, uh, y- y- that's, I think the thing that's been great about Kittle is like, everybody knows he's getting the ball and he's still getting open and he's still making it happen yeah. and coming up with these huge plays. So ultimately, this is a game that was it was really, really exciting. So much fun to watch, not just because we won, but because it was a really fun game. Yeah. And it was a game where the offense really put the team on its shoulders and carried them in a degree that we've not yet seen. But of course, it was a high scoring game, which means the defense, (laughs) not so great. This was a defense, both both teams. I think at this point, they were two of the best defenses in the league. Uh, Based on DVOA, Football Outsiders defense adjusted value over average. The Niners were uh, top two or top three in efficiency in defense. The Saints were top 10. I think they were seventh in defensive efficiency. And yet here we are with both teams getting over 40 40 points, which is ridiculous. So what was it about what the Saints did that really, really that really had them succeed against this strong 49ers defense? So I think there there were kind of two parts of it that that really stuck out while we were watching the game again is early on, they just kind of caught them in some, some some mistakes, right? Like that's unfortunately just something even when you're sound as we'll kind of talk about like Drew Brees is going to be a problem, right? Uh, and it's going to be tough. But when you have kind of some breakdowns in the back end, like he's going to find those more often than not. And so you look at both of those early touchdowns uh, to Cook and it was the first one warner trying to disguise a little bit get up uh, around the line of scrimmage and then just doesn't get back and get enough depth in his zone and leaves cook open behind him and and allow and then at that point you know he's breaking a tackle and and getting in the end zone making a great play um but it starts with kind of a blown assignment from from warner and then you look at the the second one where he was concussed uh jimmy ward you know again just kind of getting a little mixed up in the coverage follows the wrong receiver leaves cook unguarded uh, essentially and guys rallying late to try and challenge it and witherspoon and you know ward getting over over there again late um but it was just these kind of breakdowns right mental mental mistakes where they're leaving guys free and breeze is finding them and, and taking advantage and so it's just not something you can really get away with against a great offense like this and then things kind of switched and you didn't really have the explosive plays as much throughout the rest of the game it was just that precision from from Breeze, right? It's just they the Saints like to throw underneath a lot. They did it with Bridgewater. They do it with Breeze. Like it doesn't really matter who's back there. That's kind of the design of their offense. Uh, not dissimilar from the 49ers in some ways, right, where they have a lot of playmakers. You got guys like uh, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and, and all of the weapons that they have offensively. And a lot of it's about getting them the ball in space and allowing them to make stuff happen after the catch. And breeze is just so accurate, you know, consistently among the most accurate passers in the league. And, and he's just going to pick you apart. And I think that's kind of just what happened. They weren't bad necessarily defensively, like from an assignment perspective, but breeze was getting guys, the ball, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, like, and they were making things happen. And then you just had, I think what really killed them the most from that stretch is just 
the missed tackles, right? You you have to, in this system, come up and make tackles on that underneath stuff, and it just wasn't happening. Drew Brees this week got the ball out in about 2.23 seconds. The only player that got the ball out faster this week was Philip Rivers. Uh, and 2.23 seconds is really, really fast. That would be near the top of the league uh, if that were sustained over a full season. But And that's-, that's where he... So over the season right now, he has the fastest time to throw uh, in the league. And then he has the second lowest average depth of target. The only one that's lower than him is Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, so... And that's because he knows exactly where to go with the ball. And the Niners did play a little bit of zone. They did start to mix up their coverages a little bit later. Uh, but it wasn't anything that the Niners were, you know, all of a sudden super duper terrible. It's just that Drew Brees has seen everything that you could see in football. He's probably seen it. And he was able to exactly know where to go with the ball. And all of a sudden, you've got effectively the the almost the realization of Bill Walsh's West Coast offense. It's just like pass, pass, pinpoint pass, pinpoint pass over and over and over again. And and you talk about the missed tackles. This is where I think when you combine the missed tackles with some of the missed assignments and coverage, the linebackers really had a bad game. There were uh there's been a couple times where people have said like, oh the Niners really miss Quan Alexander. The Niners really miss Quan Alexander. I don't really know that they've missed him a, a whole hell of a lot so far this season. I think maybe the Ravens game probably but this game is truly the game, I think, where they missed him in coverage. Um, and maybe the missed tackles wouldn't have been helped by Quan Alexander, but, you know, I'll let, I'll let I you. I wasn't going to say it. I'll let you die on that soapbox. <laughs> um, but you think of the linebackers. Fred Warner uh, had probably one of his worst games uh, all year. And then you've got Marshall Harris, who also missed a bunch of tackles as well. I think when you miss those tackles, you allow the Saints to capitalize even more on those underneath throws because getting the ball out that quickly neutralizes your pass rush. You didn't see the defensive line get as much rush on Drew Brees because they weren't working with such a positive game script. So overall, I think why did the defense deteriorate? Well, they had a couple of busts early, but then even when they clamped down, they exacerbated their own problems by missing tackles. Linebackers didn't have a good game. And all of a sudden, you've got 40, 45 points because the Saints are that surgical. Right. When you, when you have an offense that, you know, this is a lot of the problems that the 49ers present, that we we talk about a ton with what they do to defenses. And it's when you're, you're an offense that attacks kind of the short, um, intermediate levels of the defense, especially in the middle of the field, that's really putting the stress on your linebackers and your safeties, right? So when you look at, like, you look at the corners in this game, right? Sherman played a solid game. I mean, he gave up a couple tough catches. You know, Michael Thomas is going to get his every once in a while. Like, that's that's going to be fine. Uh, Akella Witherspoon, as far from a coverage standpoint, had a really good game, right? Again, he missed a couple tackles, one of them being a very kind of dumb, costly tackle on uh, what was the go-ahead touchdown, you know, right at the end of the game there. That's okay. He'll complain about it later because that guy complains about everything maybe just a little bit yeah it's a it's a, it's a touch annoying <laughs> the shrug emoji is the akella witherspoon emoji man always shrugging rough he is he's like the Derek carr of this defense <laughs> where i mean if you ever watch Derek carr Derek carr like can't go three plays without bitching at one of his teammates yeah. um and, and so it was he's just gotta like, stay on brand you can't wear a guy liner and not be a little <laughs> a little upset at people all of the time all you, of the time yeah you can't do it um, but yeah, like on the outside, right. Those players, uh, played well. Um, and, and that was kind of largely status quo for them, but it was, uh, it was those underneath defenders that were really put under the microscope in this game. And, and it just wasn't good. I mean, we've talked multiple times, even just in the times that I've been on this, this year, uh, how the linebackers are kind of the clear weak link of this defense. And, and that is what the, the saints offense is going to attack, especially when you're a zone heavy team. Right. Like 
those routes in, in the middle of the field, they're going to your linebackers. And those are the guys that need to be on point. And they just weren't really up to the task in this one. Yeah. In the second half, I think you only had three or four passes from Drew Brees that cleared 10 yards. And it was a lot of underneath stuff. It was basically slow matriculation down the field. And, and Pete Carroll always says, like, yes, we're going to make you complete a lot of passes and run a lot of plays to move down the field because we think eventually you'll make a mistake yeah. uh, or we will make a play. And ultimately, that's exactly what happened with the 49ers. You've got a couple of plays, one from DJ Jones, who swung the game really with that fumble uh, because that was really a backbreaker for the Saints. They were moving down the field. And now all of a sudden, you've got the Niners moving in an opposite direction. That was a big swing in terms of EPA for the game. Uh, but then Nick Bosa had a couple of really, really awesome individual plays. I mean, the getting Taysom Hill and kind of knocking his feet down uh, at the end of the first half on a QB sweep. I mean, he's in the backfield. That dude is just, he's, he's just unstoppable. everywhere. And, and it's not just, I mean, obviously, we just kind of come to expect it from him uh, from a pass rush standpoint. And he was still, you know, had another uh, good game on that front. Um, but it's just, yeah, impacting the game in so many ways. I mean, you mentioned a couple of them there. There was the play that uh, he peels off on the screen pass and yep. gets the deflection on it there. I mean, he's just a, a very good football player. And and he was, again, I think pretty clearly the best defensive player on the field yep. in, in this game, like which as a rookie is just insane. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And so I think that overall, the Niners defense did get a couple of plays where they needed them. And and ultimately, it resulted in, in a win because those were some pretty big plays that especially the fumble, I think, was a really, really big play because that was not going to go well if the, if the Saints were going to go down there and score. But even holding them to a field goal after the Niners interception was a really yep. big deal as well. So I think overall, the defense absolutely didn't have a great game. But, you know, are you worried about the defense? I, I don't think so. I think you look at the opponent that you're playing. You look at how they were able to beat the Niners and it wasn't through some big grandiose, you know, thing like that. They figured them out. It's like, no, they had a couple of breakdowns. Uh, And then Drew Brees is just really good at football uh, and he neutralized the thing the Niners can do well. And the Niners couldn't get a big enough lead where they could tee off and force Drew Brees to take deeper drops. And so ultimately, that's how you get to this game. And and man, it was a lot of fun. It was an absolute instant classic. I, I went immediately afterwards to Austin Beerworks. They released uh, Sputnik, which is a, a Russian Imperial Stout, a Russian Imperial Coffee Stout, and had a couple of those. Uh, and I will tell you, Monday morning was uh, it was fun <laughs> in, in the I don't want to be at work kind of way. <laughs> oh man, I I did not get to do that, but I um, I'm jealous. I would have I would have taken that hangover gladly. It would have been a, a good time. But yeah, I think um, you know you said it like the outcome here with a lot of points, you know. The, Honestly, they were bound to have a game like that. Like it yeah. was always going to be unlikely that they were going to continue to go the entire season and and have every team finish in the teens or something like that and just have these ridiculous performances. Like sometimes you run up against good teams um, and and they're going to go ahead and get theirs. And I think that's kind of reflected in at least for us, like the the grading, right? So when you look at this, their team defensive grades over the course of the season, this was by far the most points they've given up. I would, I haven't looked, but I venture to guess this is the most yards they gave up all year. Yeah. All of all of those type of things. But from a grading standpoint, it was kind of more middle of the pack for them, a middle of the pack performance. So it wasn't great, um, obviously, but it wasn't terrible. It was by no means their worst performance of the season. And I think what that shows. Uh, is is really good execution from the offense, right? So it's not necessarily that you're just having these bad breakdowns over and over again, and you just have guys that are consistently getting hammered with these like big downgrades, right? Uh, it's it's guys are 
kind of generally in the right spot. They're they're doing you know what they should be doing, and then the other team just kind of beats them, right? The other team can make plays too, and that's what we saw in this one. Yeah, I mean it was it was so eerily similar in a lot of ways to that 2011 divisional game against New Orleans, and and it wasn't just because of the opponent. And it wasn't just because those are two of some of the best Niner games I've seen in, I don't know, a very, very long time. Um, but that deep, I mean, that 2011 defense for the Niners was incredibly good. Yeah. And the Saints threw up 32 points. You even have one of their key players going down to score. In one case, he does and gets hit in the head and gets knocked out of the game. In the other, he doesn't. Gets hit by Dante Whitner and gets stopped at the one and fumbles the ball and turns it over. You've got lead changes in the fourth. You've got, I mean, you've got everything. You've even got a quarterback sweep. That Taysom Hill tries and and Bosa stops him. But it, it, in so many ways, this game was reminiscent of that. And and this time, as in the 2011 game, the Niners end up on top. So this three-game stretch for the Niners, it was basically a mini playoffs. Yep. This is the first time in the Super Bowl era that a team has had to face three consecutive opponents with an 80% winning percentage or better uh, after week 10. So basically, this is something that's been unprecedented in the Super Bowl era. And the Niners emerged 2-1. and one. They lost that one game with by a field goal, a last-second field goal. Had an opportunity to win that game. And now they sit atop the NFC West and the NFC and have, per 538, a 64% chance to win their division. And with that comes likely a first-round bye unless something catastrophic happens. And of course, now they have tiebreakers over the likely 2-3 and three seed. Uh, which yeah. is great. So uh, to quote a great philosopher of our time, Dane Cook, by a round of applause, how do you feel about this team? God, Dane Cook, man, yeah. that's where we're at right now. Hey, man, uh, I was already in 2011 mode in my brain. Uh, I think Dane Cook may have been even pre-2011. That may oh, like Dane Cook was like, I was in high school. 2008, yeah, So maybe. like pre-2005. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. Wow, 2005? That early? Yeah, I remember like first thinking Dane Cook was really funny when I was like a sophomore in high school, which yeah. would have been like 20, 2003, 2002, 2003, something yeah. there. He yeah. was definitely funny for like two albums. Uh, and then the I joke mean, stealing. Look, 16-year-old me was into it. All right? You were out there shitting on coats? I mean, I, I was talking about shitting on coats a lot. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get uh, it. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, how, how do you feel about this team? I mean, it's 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 hard not to feel pretty good, right? I, I think even when you lump to like oh, like to me, I, I feel like you almost have to include the Seattle game in this stretch as well. I mean, obviously, you get a nice break in there with Arizona. That's that's nice to have. But um, four out of five games against really good opponents and you don't look out of place in any one of them, right? Like you don't necessarily play great in all of them, right? You, you're not great across the board. Obviously, um, Garoppolo was not great uh, in, in some of those games. Was uh, was pretty bad in some bad weather against Baltimore. Um, so it wasn't like it was flaws across the board, but you don't look out of place, right? And I think that was the thing that you wanted to see. Like what they did over the first half of the season was really impressive, but there was like, if you were ever going to be realistic about it a little bit, you, you kind of had to have that. Yeah. But in there, like, yeah, but we haven't seen it against a good team. Right. Um, and we talked about the first, again, the first step is you have to handle business against the teams that you should beat. And they did that. And then the next step is how do you stack up against those top teams? And, and, uh, to go two and two out of the four games there that they were tough out of the last five, um, and again, one of those having one of your wins be a blowout and all the other ones be super close down to the end. Like, that's good. That that tells me that, like, this is a team that absolutely belongs in that conversation for being a contender. Yeah. Right. If they if they would have gone through that stretch 
and they would have, you know, went one in three in those four games and got blown out once or twice in there. Like, I think you have some serious questions about like, yeah, they've, they've already stacked enough wins that they're going to be in the playoffs, but this looks like a team that probably is going to be exiting early. Yeah. And you compare them, I think, to another team that has the same record, and that's the New England Patriots. And uh, or actually, no, they have a better record than the Patriots at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah I think so. Yeah, because yeah, I think it's them and the Ravens uh, at, at the top. But you, the Patriots have lost games now. They got throttled by Houston. They, you know, they went to the wire against the Buffalo Bills. They've lost to the Chiefs. Uh, and, and these are the teams that they will likely be playing in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you think about what the outcome could be for the Niners having lost all these games, going up against a really tough stretch, not playing in the same division, uh, the same caliber of division, I guess, if you would call it that, <laughs> as, as the Patriots. And all of a sudden, yeah, you have to feel really, really good uh, about this team. And, and for me, I think that you're, you're absolutely right. The team has proven they belong in any of these games. And this is where having advantages at the margins is really, really important. And, and the one super advantage I think the Niners have is the offensive play caller and de- game plan designer in Cal Shanahan. I think it's a huge margin. Yep. Sean, Sean Payton has shown, I think, how important that can be in, in for an offense and a team. And, and I do think they have advantages in what they do with George Kittle and how he is a great blocker on the edge. You can't really bring out an extra linebacker because then we'll just start throwing a lot and you can't bring out a safety because then maybe you're lighting the box. Like he, he as an individual presents the same exact kinds of issues that someone like Gronkowski presented. But I think that even this year he's having a season that is really, really good. And yep. we'll talk about that a little bit later, but overall, man, great game, great week. Yep. Good week to be a 49ers fan, uh, and that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I, ho- I hope we get some more games like that. Like that was that was great. I don't know that I my heart can handle it. I was like, what? so I had oh, a bunch man. of people over. I'm usually a really uh, a relatively stoic uh, game watcher. Like I, I'm not super loud. I'm not super like I'm usually like trying to figure out what the hell is happening all of the time. Yeah. Um. That was not me in this Saints game. I was clapping. I was yelling like I had friends over and they were all and this like usually like friends don't come over and watch games with me because I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you for three and a half hours. I hope you're okay with that. Right. Um, And (laughs) and and so everyone's just kind of staring at me and going through like some of them, their first 49ers watching watching experience with me. And my poor wife is like, yeah, he's not normally like this. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's it's fun, man. Like those are those are the ones that you just like as a fan of football, like enjoy watching. Right. And when you have your team involved in it and especially they come out on top like that would have been a great game no matter what like if if for whatever reason they didn't get it done on that final drive and and uh you know ended up coming down with the loss and they're like it wouldn't have taken anything away from that game like it was still a ton of fun they still played incredibly well uh and and yeah like i i'm looking forward to matt like i hope we get another one in the playoffs man i hope we get to go and get the Saints again it'll be Uh, fun get it at home hopefully this time and uh it'll it'll be great more of a rival than the rams Uh, So let's get to the rundown and our preview of next week's game against the Atlanta Falcons. But before we do that, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, here's the rundown, those midweek stories or articles of note that we think are important. And right off the top, of course, the Niners did not emerge the game unscathed. Weston Richburg and maybe DJ Jones out for the year. Richburg tore his patellar tendon. DJ Jones has an ankle issue that Shanahan said was pretty significant. Not the same ankle that he's been nursing so far this year. Uh, and my question to you, Mr. David Newman, is which one of those two is the bigger loss? Richard Sherman. 
Oh, wait. He wasn't one of the options. That's right. Uh, well, he's not out for the year. He's out for a couple yeah, of weeks with a hamstring weeks. issue. Um, I mean, I, I, I do think that's probably the most significant one. I, I think of those two, I mean, um, luckily, I mean, obviously, never you would never want to see guys that have been in there and contributing on a regular basis go down. I don't think either of these are necessarily huge losses for them. Um, you know, a nose tackle being a relatively uh, unimportant position in the grand scheme of things, even as well as Jones has been playing. Um, I think on a stacked defensive line, they're going to be fine there. Like, I don't think that that's going to have a huge impact. I would probably of those two have to go with Richburg, even though he's not really playing all that well. Just I think um, continuity from an offensive line perspective is is good to have. And even though like he hasn't necessarily been great on an individual level, They've overall been really solid up front. Um, and so I think introducing, you know, another new player in there, they've they've kind of juggled, obviously, at the tackles a little bit, but um, throwing a wrench now in the middle where I don't know that they're as strong from a backup's perspective, um, that would probably be the one that worries me the most. Yeah, you know, you think of Richburg as a player and he is a little bit better pass protector than he is a run blocker. And that's good for the way that the game is played, especially in a game like they had to play against the the New Orleans Saints. But uh, you look at Ben Garland, he's actually the opposite. He's a little bit better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. And if Jimmy Garoppolo starts to see a whole bunch of pressure, that's where sometimes you get into the, the bad Jimmy Garoppolo cycles. So hopefully that doesn't result in an in uptick in increased pressure, and hopefully it doesn't force Shanahan to change his play-calling methodology or the way that he attacks defenses like he did when he was trying to account for two backup tackles. But... Hopefully, you know, Weston West Richburg has a, a, a good recovery. He comes back next season. And, and hopefully Ben Garland is the next man up for the 49ers because they will absolutely need that center in Shanahan's offense. But another player who also is going on season-ending IR is Marquise Goodwin. And so the question here is, has Marquise Goodwin made his final catch in San Francisco? Ooh, Maybe what's uh remind me his contract status currently uh contract status is that he is owed somewhere north of five million dollars next year all told uh but they can save money if they cut him and, and at this point you know he's got uh foot and knee issues that apparently were problematic he wasn't on any, on any of the team's injury reports but then he mentioned these like on youtube or instagram or something uh, which i can't imagine went over well and and Bar- Matt Barrows is reporting that the team was frustrated that, in their mind, small ail- ailments would slow him down and prevent him from playing. So he's had a pretty precipitous fall from that promising 2017 year where he looked like he was, you know, basically a, a couple of plays away from breaking a thousand yards. And now he's on the outside looking in and Kendrick Bourne and or Emmanuel Sanders uh, has basically eliminated his position. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that... Uh... I mean, they basically just removed that part of their offense. Um, like they, they just don't do it anymore. Like you, you think it, w- you know, who can do deep shots, George Kittle, Goodwin. We don't need you. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, they just, again, don't really throw those routes a whole lot. Um, I, I think what he was good at, like really good at consistently, right. Is, is he's going to run those deep routes, that deep route tree, the deep posts, you know, off play action. Like that's where, he can have a big impact for you. Um, you know, he's, I don't think he's ever going to be like a high volume guy, but he can get those big plays. I think he did prove that much. Um, and it just like that went away. Like they just decided that rather than trying to get him involved and, and throw him a few of those plays, uh, each game, like 
that we just don't we're just yeah. going to take that away completely. I, I don't think the team felt they could because a longer developing shot like that would have required uh justin school and dan brunskill to hold up and i think brunskill probably would have been fine but justin school i don't think that's i mean i don't think that's true well you you don't have to like so deep shots typically offer them especially are going to come off play play action action. which is already going to buy you a lot of time and a lot of deep throws anyway are are throws you have to throw it early right and just put a lot of air under it so it's not like they're not typically throws where you're hanging on to the ball a lot they're not long developing routes so I don't think the offensive line was really a part of it. I think if anything, it's Jimmy and and him just not being all that good at those. I mean, even this Sanders one, like that wasn't a good throw. Like Jimmy style, gave him a chance. Jimmy's but. style is definitely more underneath in the middle of the field. Yeah. But it was def- it was a definite change with Shanahan calling plays when he had two backup tackles in there. And they had they didn't have to have as many long developing plays because in a lot of those games they were up and they relied on their running game. For sure. But even then, I think if you don't have to do it, and you're worried about putting Jimmy Garoppolo on a seven-step drop because that's, that is going to be a longer developing play and a deeper drop than a three-step or even a five-step just by the definition of the drop. I mean, that's what, though, you don't, you don't throw deep routes, though, on seven-step drops. So, I, like, that's usually the ball needs to be out quicker, like, or you just can't throw it that far, right? So, like, the deeper intermediate stuff is usually where you're on the seven-step drop. So, uh, if, if you remove the play action game, which is a little bit different, right? Cause that's buying you some time on the rollout and kind of setting up there. That's getting you your time for him to get downfield. Um, but otherwise like kind of just your deep go routes down the sideline, those are usually three, five step drops. Um, because you just, otherwise like the receiver's too far downfield, right? You can't throw it that far, especially Jimmy. Jimmy like doesn't have that kind of arm. So, um, yeah, I think it's just like, they just decided, I think it's a combination, obviously, of Goodwin just not kind of like losing his place within this wide receiving group and, and not really having a, a, a role that they want to take advantage of. And then I think it's not being comfortable with Jimmy doing that consistently. Well, the team is definitely fixated on having really tough wide receivers. Uh, I think that Pettis has gotten a little bit of that as well, where they think he's just not tough for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it, it seems to me like Marquise Goodwin has played his final snap as a 49er. Incidentally, his dead money is only 1.25 million next year. Uh, then the team gets about 3.6 million in savings. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, he's definitely gone. It was fun. Had some it, good plays. It was fun, man. I, I love him as a human. Uh, yes, and absolutely. A, and as a Texas Longhorn, uh, I absolutely love Marquise Goodwin. So absolutely wish him the best and, and hope he latches on to a new team and, and does some good stuff. But let's talk some more about George Kittle because absolutely. the PFF had an article this week talking about George Kittle and how he's having this season a better season based on PFF grade than Rob Gronkowski ever had. Uh, so George Kittle is currently the highest graded uh, tight end, and he currently has the highest grade ever given to a tight end. That includes, of course, Gronk. Uh, and this is in the PFF era, so 2006 and later. This season, and it's not just that what he's doing in the passing game, but it's also what he's doing in the run-blocking grade. There was one stat out of the article that I thought was really interesting. This season... The Niners are averaging 6.2 yards per carry on runs to the edge where Kittle is blocking as a tight end. And they're, they're getting three yards before contact. So basically, Kittle is not just going to just catch choice routes and carry Saints for 17 yards on a broken leg while he's getting his face mask tugged on. He's also going to dominate you as a run blocker. And I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. He is one of, if not the best, 
players in the NFL, and he is absolutely the best tight end in the game. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, that that grade is, well, obviously the highest among tight ends, like you mentioned. It's the highest of any offensive player, period. Like, yeah. any position um, has the highest overall offensive grade for us, has the second highest receiving grade. Um, yeah, he is uh, he is a force, man. Um, it's, I, I think, absolutely um, this season playing on that Gronk type level, right? The thing that separated Gronk and that we'll find out whether Kittle's going to like reach that level is Gronk did this for many years in a row, right? Sustaining this like elite level production every single season, just kind of no matter what happened, whenever he was out there, he was producing like this. And so that's kind of the next step for Kittle, but he's been incredible. You look at the, the highest grades for a tight end from PFF and it's George Kittle at the top currently, which who knows how the season will end, but currently he is number one. Number two, Rob Gronkowski, 2011. Number three, Rob, Gronkras- Rob Gronkowski, 2014. And then you get to Tony Gonzalez in, tw- in 2006. And Jason Witten pulled a rabbit out of his head in 2007. Uh, and he ended up with an elite grade in 2000. But then off that screen, you just go back to, to Rob yeah. Gronkowski uh, seasons. Yeah, he yeah. has like, yeah, I want to say it's something absurd. Like he has over half of the top 10 graded yeah. tight end seasons. Yeah, it's um, pretty it's pretty remarkable. So I, I do think that George Kittle is on that trajectory. Uh, and, and bold claim in that article, uh, definitely a Hall of Famer uh, for George Kittle was a sentence in there. Wow. So, yeah, I know. Sam Monson, man, this is this is big as no, it's not. I was going to say is this is yeah. biggest since uh, <laughs> since he called Brady done, but probably not. Right. No. I'm sure there's been that Sam style. He likes to go out on a limb there. Hey, man, some bold that's, takes. that's a limb that uh, I am OK with with being out on because I love I love me some George Kittle. Absolutely. He, he embodies the 49ers and I'm happy. That he is indeed. He's just so fun to watch, man. It's just like, I mean, every play like and then seeing him even even seeing him celebrate uh, on the the other touchdown was it the born one of the born touchdowns, I think, where he tries to get in and dance with born and he seems very out of place. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, he's just great. He's a lot of fun uh, and it's it's a lot of fun rooting for him. But now on to Atlanta, because the 49ers can clinch their first playoff spot since 2013 with a win. And at basically at this point, I'm going to add a new. I, sometimes I add interim week, what one week rules to the drinking game. And this week, I think I'm going to add the if you hear 28 to three or the Atlanta Ooh. Super Bowl mentioned, you need a drink in addition to the already existing drinking rules. Um, Maybe just a sip for the 28 three one. That's uh, well, they're always sips. I mean, you're not doing shots every time you, you know, encounter like, one of the rules. You know, people may be taking them a little like a, a, a full, a nice full drink, you know, not yeah. necessarily a sip. But basically, uh, take a sip that is commensurate with the alcohol percentage of the thing that you are sipping. Yeah. If you're if you're sipping a Coors Light and you're, you know, then. pushing 2.6 percent near beer, <laughs> then, you know, you can do go whatever ahead. you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. You can chug a whole beer. Once you get to that 5%, you know, kind of area, okay, you know, that's a moderate drinking. 8, 9, 12% barley wine. Better don't, be careful. Yeah, you better be careful. Yep. Once you get into Crown Royal, all right, my dude, wow. simmer down. Simmer. One, why are you drinking Crown Royal? Yeah. Don't at me. Two, that's enough. Uh, so let's talk about, God. incidentally, one other thing when reading up on this game, Marcus Thompson from The Athletic. Uh, called Levi's the Denim Dungeon. I was just going to ask. I see this note in there, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? The Denim Dungeon. I am all about it. That's I am so bad. I love oh, nicknames. God. I love, like, I want to make the Gold Rush happen for this pass rush, irrespective of the cheerleader squad name. I think the Gold Rush is a perfect name 
for. It's the, certainly better than anything that uh, Mike Silver came yeah. up in that uh, that interview. That, yeah, that he had. like, do you see the looks that they were given? Like, wh- what is this? Yeah, it's bad. Uh, but the denim dungeon, I'm all about it. Levi's, let's make it happen. The denim dungeon. But the, the Falcons' defense has been an absolute mess so far this year. Over the course of the season, they're 28th and EPA expected points allowed again on the year, which is not great. That means they're really, really bad. Uh, and and they don't really stop a lot of people. The, the rap on them so far, especially in the first half of the season, has really just been busted coverages. It's not been a, a unit that has played with cohesiveness, despite the fact that they're led by a defensive head coach. And, and all in all, it's led to a pretty terrible record and, and overall not good times in Atlanta. I just remember it was it was really funny because it seemed like every week there was one of those. So like uh, next gen stats, right, has like the the player diagrams that they get for like the yeah. play diagrams that show you how things unfold. Um, and it, it's like normally a, a terrible way to try to figure out like what's actually happening. Like it's just kind of like a cool thing to watch. But it would you would have plays every week with the Falcons where it would be whoever caught the ball was just in this area of the field all by himself. And it was like <laughs> funny just to see all the dots go the other run way. away. Uh, and that was like the type of stuff that's basically been happening for them for for most of this season. I mean, it's just kind of been a mess defensively, uh, especially it w- from from a coverage standpoint there. And so. I think, yeah, it's a team that has obviously some talented players there. They're even on the defense, right? There are guys that that we still like. Uh, Deion Jones is still a very good player. Great. Jarrett's playing really well this year. Um, But that secondary is hot garbage right now. Don't even forget your boy, Foyer Luakon. Oh, yeah, that's right. We yeah, had a, we had a crush on him yep, a little while absolutely. ago. He's actually having a pretty good season so far. Yep. But, but so apparently Dan Quinn, you get to the bye week. And apparently Dan Quinn says, you know what? After eight weeks... Of this hot garbage. Now I'm going to go in and fix stuff. <laughs> and he decides that after the bye week, he's going to get more involved. He gets Raheem Morris more involved. He transitions Raheem Morris, apparently, from wide receivers coach to defensive backs coach. And now the Falcons are actually winning some games. They've won three of their last five. They've won games against the Saints and the Panthers twice. Uh, they won, of course, an early season game against the Eagles. But their pass rush seems to fuel or they seem to find success on the field when they're able to get some sacks and when they're able to get some pass rush. Of course, you've got six sacks against the Saints and they do have two players along that defensive front that could cause some problems for the 49ers. And that's Grady Jarrett and Adrian Claiborne. And the Niners at times, especially with McGlinchey coming back from rust, uh, who's been a little rusty in some games, although he's played really, really well lately. And Joe Staley, who also has been trying to knock off some rust. They haven't always held up super duper well against some of the better or more elite pass rushers in the NFL. So it is not as if this is a game the Niners can look past. They are still absolutely going to have to take care of business at the Denim Dungeon. Oh I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to oh make no. it happen. The Denim Dungeon. <laughs> I can't e- I can't even... I, I don't even know what to say after that. It's um, the Canadian tuxedo of sports. I don't want to be that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we also don't want to be is Vic Beasley Jr., um, no, I don't know why that was just an unnecessary shot at Vic Beasley. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so I, I think, um, one of the two has to hit something and it's not Vic Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, right. So I, th- I think when you look at their defense and kind of the pass rush leading the way, it's not in this, the way that you would think like with the 49ers leading the way, right? If their pass rush is legitimately very, very good. Um, and then everything else kind of like falls in place around them. 
it just happens to be like the better of an overall weak unit, right? So because their secondary is just so bad, um, yeah, if they have much hope of kind of stopping the pass, it is absolutely through the pass rush. They have at least some quality players there, more on the interior. They haven't really been able to get a lot from their outside guys and Beasley and Tack McKinley. Um, it's just they, they don't have, yeah, a, 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 a lot of depth like on the defensive line. It's really just like those kind of couple players um, I think Jarrett's the one that is going to be the most immediate problem, right? Especially when you're talking about uh, losing your starting center now and, and kind of maybe weakening the interior of that offensive line. He's the one most primed to take advantage of that. So I think he's the guy you really need to be focused on, um, you know, when, when talking about like, who do we need, need to make sure that we're accounting for on their defensive line? Like he's priority number one for sure. Um, but if they can just get a little bit of time and give Jimmy uh, you know, again, time to find guys, go through his reads like that. There's going to be plays that are there to be made on the back end. Now, the Falcons don't play a super complicated defense. They play just a few coverages on the year. Of course, it's Dan Quinn. So that means you're going to have a lot of single high coverages, cover three, cover very one. familiar with yeah, this defense. That's exactly right. And and you've got a, cu- a, a couple of snaps of cover, too. But really, it is. It's a predominantly single high team. And both the 49ers defensive coordinator and the 49ers offensive coordinator know exactly how to pick that team apart. This is another one of those games where maybe there's some familiarity here because there are some connections, of course, between these two teams. You've got, well, 28 to 3 in the Super Bowl and the whole thing. <laughs> drink. Uh, <laughs> and, and you've also got, I mean, I didn't know that Matt Ryan was uh, a cousin of Mike McGlinchey. Oh, right. I did. I like always their first cousins. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But it's just like never immediately comes to mind. Apparently a 6'10 or or a 6'8 Mike McGlinchey in high school dunked on NFL quarterback Matt Ryan at like a family get together. Hell yeah. And that's when Mike McGlinchey knew that he was a man. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to see that. It's great. But yeah, but apparently they're first cousins and he went, he was, uh, McGlinchey was at Matt Ryan's draft when he was drafted and he was like, oh, this is really cool. And that's when he decided, apparently a lot of people, this, he actually had a great interview on, on Matt Mayoko's podcast and he talked about how he has, I think like three or four cousins, all of which who played collegiate football at D1 or, or kind of FCS schools and they were all quarterbacks. He was the only lineman. Wow. Yeah. Pretty well. That's wild. Uh, But this should be a game where the Niners are going to be a bit familiar with that defense. And on the flip side, I think you mentioned the absence of Richard Sherman. And this is going to be one hell of a test for Akella Witherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley. If you want to figure out whether or not these two players are actually really, really good. Well, roll the tape because Julio Jones is coming to town and he is 100 percent one of the best wide receivers, if not the best wide receiver in football. Dude's a freak. Um, Just like still. Yeah, it's yeah. So I think that's kind of be I I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things, because, you know, not to get too far, like this is a game they should win. This this is getting back to a game where they're they're clearly the better team, um, especially when you look at kind of what their offense has been doing uh, against the way that the Falcons defense has been playing. Like it should be a game where they're able to be efficient there. And so you want to see them go out and do that. And then, yeah, on the other side of the ball, it's okay. let's. How do how do our guys on the outside stack up with Julio Jones? I think is really the most interesting thing to watch. Like uh, they are going to throw the ball lots. Um, I think that Atlanta, which again partially due to the game script and them trailing a lot this season, but they've thrown like on seventy percent of their plays, offensive yeah. plays this year. So um, they're going to be putting the ball up in the air. 
a bunch. And, uh, you know, that secondary without Sherman is going to be tested for sure. So, I mean, at this point, what you're down because Tart, how long is Tart out? Do we know for sure? He was week to week. So I don't know if he's going to be back. I mean, honestly, if, if you're the Niners, you're probably thinking to yourself, Atlanta game we should win might rest them another week. Yeah. Just because it's Atlanta. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, not, not that you you by any means need to rush him back. Like the, the most important thing is getting him healthy for the playoff run. But, um, you know, still being down two starters and two of your better players in the secondary, um, you know, you want to see some of these guys, you know, they've uh, they, they thought they were comfortable with the depth they had going into the season. So far, that's proven to be true. But losing two starters can shake some things up pretty quick. Right. So Dante Johnson's um, back. Yeah. The Johnson rule returns. I might have to add two rules for the drinking game this week. Uh, the Johnson rule returns. We've got the 20 to three rule. You know, this is a game where the Niners may be able to get uh, an interception or two on Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan's going to have a few weapons that are gone. One, namely, is going to be Calvin Ridley. He's not playing in this game. And and so you basically can focus a lot of your attention on Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan has not taken care of the ball super well. We've talked a lot about how Garoppolo has had a couple of, of boneheaded plays, but you, you take his his turnover worthy play percentage, it's just north of uh, 3%. Well, Matt Ryan's up over 4%. Yeah. And, and so at that point, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is going to be a, a game where the Niners defense should get back to its ways. I think this is going to be a, a, another run-heavy script for the Niners. And really my question to you, operationalize this for me. I'm in the fantasy playoffs. I know you don't know what that feels like. Holy shit. <laughs> headphones off. I'm, I'm leaving. Hold on. I, I need your help here, David. I, I know no. that you don't know I'm, what this I've feels like, listening. but I'm going to tell you that this feels pretty good. And, and in one of the, I'm actually in the fantasy playoffs in two of my leagues that I can be in the playoffs for. And in one of them, I got Tevin Coleman. Should I start Tevin Coleman or should I start some other running back? Because I've also got Josh Jacobs, dude's injured. Uh, because this is going to be a run-heavy script, or is Raheem Mostert confirming everything that we know about him that we've been talking about for the last two weeks and proving that he is indeed the best running back on the wide receivers, on, on the wide receivers, on the 49ers? Oh, I'm sorry, were you still talking? Yeah, currently. I don't give a shit about yeah. your fantasy playoffs. <laughs> no one else listening does either. Next question. <laughs> Man, you're just, you're never going to hear the answers to that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll update you next week. Don't worry, David. We're going to have a segment specifically pulled nope. out. Just I am uh, just I'm unavailable next week. <laughs> Turns out just checked my schedule. It has uh, become busy. Yeah, busy watching my score rack up. And we've got FCS teams to get to. Sorry. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Southwest Northwest Dakota State. You enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you say that like it's a joke. And yeah. uh, you don't know what what my <laughs> new year is going to be looking <laughs> <laughs> my new year oh, just man. just got filled up with some fucking fcs so. oh goodness well on that awful awful note thanks again everyone for tuning in to this week's edition of the better rivals podcast you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals david where can they follow you uh you can follow me at pff underscore david <laughs> thanks again everyone for tuning in and as always go niners <laughs>